So this morning, um, I'm going to be speaking on we have the hope of heaven. Um, so we have the hope of heaven. I wonder what comes to your mind when you, when you hear the word heaven. This is a quiz moment. Who is it? Belinda Carlisle, well done, okay. Maybe your taste in 80s music is slightly better and Belinda Carlisle doesn't come to your mind and maybe it's, let's have the other one. Anyone? Brian Adams, no, not Bon Jovi, no. <laughs> I'm finding it hard to believe we're in heaven. Maybe, maybe it's none of that. Um, maybe it's uh, something slightly different. Maybe it's chocolate if you nudge forward a few slides or if I can get this. Oh, yeah, here we go. Right. Maybe it's that that comes to mind um, when you think of heaven, pure bliss. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's not chocolate. Maybe if you are particularly parents of young child children, maybe it's just 10 or 15 minutes of peace and quiet. Or maybe it's not even um, that if you're parents. Um, I, I enjoyed researching this. I enjoyed uh, uh, sort of finding a few cartoons. And maybe your picture of heaven is, is, is that kind of fluffy clouds and all that kind of stuff. Um, and St. Peter at the pearly gate. Anyway, we're not going to spend any more time this morning, you'll be glad to know, thinking about what culture says about heaven. We want to explore what the Bible teaches. And it's a huge topic um, the word heaven appears 340 times in the Old Testament, 340 times. Now, some of that is talking about the skies, you know, the birds that fly in the heavens. But a lot of that is talking about the place where, where God is. 246 times the word heaven appears in the New Testament, and mostly it's not talking about the skies there. And actually, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of heaven. We explored that, didn't we, at the beginning of the year? We spent a lot of time looking at the kingdom. And um, we, we saw that Jesus sort of used um, that word uh, kingdom of heaven quite regularly. And it's wonderful to come back to um, the kingdom again. So what I want to do for the next 20 minutes or so is look at three things. Heaven is a place where God is. Heaven is the rule and reign of God, and heaven as our hope. Um, and I wrote quite a lot on the first two points, and then I actually just feel the Lord prompting me to spend more time on the third point. So we're going to gallivant through a lot of Bible verses. So hold hold on to your armchairs. This is going to be this is going to be pretty quick. So we'll we'll, we'll go through the first two very quickly. So. Um, Wayne Grudem um, is one of the theologians that I can actually understand. I've got his book, Systematic Theology is a Weighty Tomb that Weighs Down My Bookshelf. And he says this, heaven is the place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. Um, Wayne Grudem's always quite succinct in what he says, but, but it's, he writes and every word has, has important meaning. So I'll read that again. Heaven is the place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. So the first thing I wanted to say is, is heaven is a place. Um, in the beginning, we read Genesis 1 verse 1, heaven is created by God in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And it also mentions that in Revelation 10 as well, if you want to see the same point made at the end of the Bible. So it's created by God. Heaven is a real place. Um, when the disciples had just re uh, witnessed Jesus ascend to heaven, um, the angels uh, said to the men of Galilee, 
Why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go to heaven. So that's Acts 1.11. Acts 7.55, the story of Stephen, um, actually when he was being persecuted, the first Christian martyr. And actually he said, look, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man at the right hand of God. So heaven is a real place. The glorified Christ entered into heaven. It's where Jesus is right now. So it's the place where Jesus is. Um, and also the place where we will be. John 14, verse 3, Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So heaven is where Jesus is, where we will be. It's God's dwelling place. Um, 1 Kings 8, verse 30 talks about that. Um, actually, Matthew 6, verse 9, well known are the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. It's, it's God's dwelling place. The angels are in heaven. We'll read about that. Jesus mentions in Matthew 18. Um, there are angels in heaven. Always see the face of my Father in heaven. We read that heaven is joyful. Luke chapter 15, verse 7. I tell you, in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So heaven is a joyful place. It's everlasting. Um, 2 Corinthians uh, 5 verse 1 talks about that. It talks about a, an eternal house in heaven. And it's holy. Deuteronomy 26 verse 15 talks about your holy dwelling place. And Isaiah 57, God says, I live in a high and holy place. So what does it mean for heaven to be holy? Well, the Bible gives us some useful pictures. Revelation 21 paints a picture of heaven. Verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So there's a new heaven and new earth. It speaks of God's redemption, dealing with the brokenness in creation. If you're somebody like me that likes sea, I was a little bit surprised by there's no, there's no sea. Why is it not going to be any sea? And then actually, well, as I looked into sort of the culture in that sort of um, Middle East uh, time, uh, the culture at the time, uh, there was a lot of fear of the sea. The sea was a place of danger. The sea was a place of uncertainty. It was a place of risk. And I wonder whether God was just communicating to, to people in that picture of heaven that actually there's no uncertainty. There's no fear in heaven. There's no danger in heaven. Verse 2 in, in Revelation 21, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God as a bride beautifully prepared for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So heaven is holy. There is no place for uh, pain or for crying or for death in heaven because God's perfect order is restored in heaven. Which brings me to my second point. Heaven as God's rule and reign. And this is hinted at by the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 66. This is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So God's throne is being in heaven. It's where God reigns, where God rules. 
Peter talks about it too in one of his letters. First Peter 3 verse 22 talks about Jesus who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So Peter links Jesus going to heaven with, with his rule and reign, having angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And actually, if you think about it, the arc of the Bible's narrative traces God's rule and reign through history. So if you think about creation, you know, God creates the world, uh, humankind is the pinnacle of God's creation, made in his image, and it was good. He said it was very good. And then there's the fall. Actually, man and woman rebel against God. We, we think we know better. We rebel against his rule and reign, and creation is marred. It still has the hallmarks of God's design. God is still sovereign over all, but sin becomes present. There's that um, sort of rejection of his rule and reign. Things go against what, what, what he wants. And God loves so, us so much that he sends Jesus, the creative word, to take our punishment, to open the way for our relationship with God to be restored, and for God's rule and reign to be uh, once again over our lives. And Jesus preached, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's rule and reign is available. And we pray your kingdom come, don't we? We often see God break in. He can bring healing. He brings transformation. He brings peace. But we're still on enemy territory, aren't we? John Wimber um, that used to say, um, we're in the now and not yet. We see elements of God's kingdom, elements of his rule and reign um, in our world, in our lives. But actually, we still have sickness. We still have disappointment. We still have death, and we will do while we're on the earth. But one day, we will enter heaven, and we will see him face to face, and his kingdom, his rule, and his reign will be fully present. Satan and with him all evil, sickness, pain, and death will be conquered. And what a day that's going to be. So God's rule and reign are fully present in heaven, the place. But right now, on earth, God's rule and reign are breaking in. We welcome it, um, but it's contested. We live in that tension of now and not yet. Okay, so I've galloped through that quite quickly. Um, and I want to slow down a little bit and just consider heaven as our hope. Um, because I think our worldview, actually, as believers, is radically different from, from people around us and from our culture around us. And, and it's this, and I think it's particularly relevant, actually, given uh, what Trevor's talked about at Open Doors um, and living under persecution. Because as Christians, we live with eternity in mind. Our culture often lives for the moment, doesn't it? experience is everything. I came across a really interesting quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, and she said, the purpose of life is to live it, to taste experience to the utmost, to reach out eagerly and without fear for newer and richer experience. So carpe diem, seize the day, live in the moment. Then sometimes our culture will be a bit more responsible and will say, well, you know, you've got to, uh, you've got to plan, you've got to build a life, plan for the future, look after your family, get a job, buy a home, you know, save, prepare for the future. And in themselves, both of those things are not bad things. 
Actually, God has given us all good things for us to enjoy. That's, that's wonderful. And he, he loves us enjoying it. And he also encourages us to plan and be wise and, and think about the future. But listen to what Jesus said when he was on earth. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Some of you have heard of Jim Elliot. Um, he was a man who lived with eternity in mind. His journal entry for October 28th, 1949, expressed his belief that work dedicated to Jesus was more important than his very life. And he famously wrote this line, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he believed God had called him to share the good news of Jesus um, with some of the unreached tribes in the jungles of Ecuador. Uh, He arrived there in February 1952, and after having some initial friendly contact, actually they they got a plane, they they flew over the area, they lowered gifts down in the basket, they made contact with people, um, some of the the tribes there. Uh, he, He planned a visit with some of his friends. And on the 8th of January 1956, Uh, Jim and his four young friends were murdered by a group of of warriors um, from the tribe they were trying to reach. Jim gave his life to reach people with the gospel. And actually, some of those people that that died ended up coming to faith. There's a wonderful book, if you haven't read it, called Through the Gates of Splendor by his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, that, that sort of tells the story. But Jim lived with eternity in mind. And as Christians, I believe that's our calling. We're called to live with eternity in mind. There's a famous author called Stephen Covey. He wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which I try to remind myself about every now and again to follow some of them. But, but one of the things he said that I thought was really helpful was begin with the end in mind. And for Jesus, the end was eternity with his Father. That was the horizon of Jesus' thinking. Jesus lived with the hope of heaven as his driving force. He endured the cross because he had the hope of heaven. Listen to how Paul puts it in Hebrews chapter 12. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he, that's Jesus, endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus endured the cross because he had eternity in mind. He had the hope of heaven. And we too should set our priorities. We should make our decisions with that um, eternity in mind. So we live with eternity in mind. The second thing I want to bring out is just that we long to be with Jesus, don't we? In his letter to Philippians, Paul outlines his purpose and priorities. And for him, heaven was a real and tangible destination. He longed to be with Jesus face to face in heaven. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, it's just interesting to hear him wrestling with this out loud. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So he's, he's kind of good with that. He, he sees the value in that. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. I, I love that sort of just internal tussle between Paul because he sees he's called to be here on earth and he's stuff to do, but actually he just so wants to be with Jesus. And as believers, death isn't the end. We get to be with Jesus in heaven. We live eternally with God. Um, as I mentioned, you know, Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, Jesus said, and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And in case there was any doubt, actually the verse before, John 14, verse 2, he says, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. So in heaven, we enter into the full enjoyment of God's presence forever. And Revelation 22 paints the the picture. Verses 3 to 5. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever. I'm not sure why, but in our culture today, in our church culture, we don't tend to talk about heaven very much. And it may be because I guess our wider culture doesn't like the concept of death, you know. It was probably what sex was 20 years ago to polite conversation. These days, we just, we don't talk about death. But heaven is something that we should, as Christians, meditate on and we should talk about. It's important to know where we're going. It's important to have the end in mind. And it's important to to long to be with Jesus. The third thing I want to say is this. We're motivated by heaven. And um, I guess there's, there's some perspectives about heaven we need to avoid. So we don't want to be motivated in an unhealthy way. You know, there's the stereotypical, I guess, Islamic uh, extremist firing up young recruits to conduct suicide missions because paradise awaits them. You know, incredibly unhealthy. There's the angels, harps, fluffy clouds, God is a dopey old man um, view of heaven that's incredibly unhelpful and not real. Not, not somewhere I'd want to be at all, never mind be there forever. And then there's also, I think, the Christian heaven being used as an excuse to accept injustice and pain in this world now. That's, that's not a helpful, um, not a helpful view of heaven. Or the concept of the new heavens and the new earth being used as an excuse to abuse this earth, this planet that God has given us to look after and to enjoy. Scripture's pretty clear that we are to steward and to take care of the earth. But I think the fact that there's some unbiblical or unhelpful views of, um, of heaven means it's even more important for us to search the scriptures and to see what does God say about heaven to understand that. And for Paul, the hope of heaven 
was perhaps the most important part of his faith. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. He says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If it's only about here and now, if our faith is just about here and now, then actually as Christians, we don't have a great deal. (laughs) You know, heaven's hope is a vital part of our faith. And we should get excited about it because the promise to Jesus, the promise, sorry, of Jesus to the Christian is not necessarily a better life on earth. And I'm sure somebody like Hey Wu from North Korea can testify to that. Yes, Jesus walks with you. Yes, he gives you joy and peace. Yes, he grows you in the, fu- in the fruit of the Spirit. So yes, there are some wonderful things, but in fact, Jesus promised difficulties in life. John 16, verse 33, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's Jesus' promise to us, unfortunately. But then he said, take heart, I have overcome the world. So for much of the New Testament context, and as well as, as, as um, Trevor was telling us, for what, 245 million Christians, nearly 10% of the Christians in the world, persecution, hardship, because of, because of people's faith, is a daily reality. And we may not face persecution or hardship necessarily in Hazelmere or the Three Counties area or the UK, um, but we all will have trouble. We have our own thistles and weeds in our lives. We have our our difficulties. And the final judgment, the removal of evil, um, and the consummation of God's rule and reign when we get to spend eternity with Jesus is our destination. And it's something we can get excited about. Paul said in Hebrews, For here we do not have an, an enduring city, but we're looking forward for that city that is to come. So the hope of heaven can be our motivation. The period of now and not yet, the period of being contested is not forever. And Revelation 20 talks about the final judgment of Satan, his final punishment, before Revelation 21 then brings us that picture of heaven, the new heavens and new earths with God fully revealed and no evil present at all. So, how do we apply this to our lives? Maybe Jack and the band, you guys can come up. I just want to pull together three points. I think first, heaven gives us hope to help us through the tough times. And I mean hope in the Christian sense, not wishful thinking, but confidence in a future reality. It's a true hope anchored in Jesus, not just pie in the sky when you die. If you're feeling weary, if you're feeling tired, if you're feeling ready to give up, actually the hope of heaven can sustain you. There's a song by a Christian uh, Christian artist called Steve Camp uh, that has the line, I know one day I will be free. The weight of sin shall be released, but for now he covers me. And one day our struggles will be gone. One day we get to see Jesus face to face. One day we'll meet those who have went there before us. 
So heaven gives us hope to help us through the tough times. I think heaven can give us motivation to serve Jesus and his cause today. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So heaven is that joy set before us. And that can give us motivation to serve Jesus in this cause today. And then I think heaven keeps us focused on what is eternally important. We, uh, we read the words earlier about Jesus encouraging us not to build treasure on earth, but build treasure on heaven. And what does that mean? What does it mean to build treasure in heaven? Well, I believe it's about investing in people. You know, money and position and all the world has to offer is temporary. It will disappear. But actually, people are what matters. Um, people last into eternity. So we, we can invest into people and sharing the good news and blessing people. It's about developing our character. Our character has eternal significance. And then it's about obedience to God and seeing his kingdom come here on earth. We can participate in bringing parts of heaven, uh, God's rule and God's reign, into our context. And these are the things that matter and have eternal significance. So let's just pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for the promise of heaven to those that have received your, your righteousness, received forgiveness, and follow you. And Jesus, we thank you for that hope of heaven in our lives. I pray that you would just help us to see the joy of heaven. Lord, help us to get excited about what heaven means. We just thank you. Thank you so much. We thank you for that hope. We thank you that not only are you here with us on earth, but Jesus, you, you're going to bring us to be with you forever one day. Thank you, Lord.